The adoption of connected devices in the home is a huge driver for ensuring that you've got the bandwidth in the home. And so that is making consumers want to increase their speeds. And then of course, the Wi-Fi connectivity in the home is a big issue. Making sure all these devices work requires reliable Wi-Fi. Hello, this is Martha DeGrasse here again for Wi-Fi Alliance, and this is The Signal, our podcast where we bring you the inside track on Wi-Fi. These are meant to be smart conversations with industry leaders, and today we are delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Parks. She is president of market research firm Parks Associates, and she's here to talk to us about smart home devices and the Internet of Things. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today on The Signal. Thank you, Martha. It's always a pleasure to participate in anything that the Wi-Fi Alliance is working on. Agreed. All right, well, let's start with some research you recently published. One of the big takeaways there was that more than half the people who buy smart home devices double down and buy at least three devices. So what are they buying? Sure. So we just published one of our landmark studies that we've been doing annually for quite a few years called the Smart Home Buyer Journey. We surveyed 10,000 internet households and asked them about their adoption of different smart home devices. And so in that research, we did find out an update on the market where we see that the devices that have video components, so smart video doorbells and smart cameras, are now leading the way in terms of all of the devices we're tracking, which I believe is 19 devices in the smart home device category. So doorbells and smart cameras are holding steady now at 17% adoption across all U.S. internet households. And to put that into context in regards to Parks research, 1% of internet households equals about a million households because we are tracking 119 million internet households in the U.S. through our data. And then we also have smart thermostats in the third position or perhaps second since uh, there's a tie for first with doorbells and cameras. And so finally we're seeing an increase in adoption for the smart thermostat after really stalling out for a few years. So that's where right now the market's moving. I wonder if these heat waves are driving those smart thermostat sales. I've been thinking about one. So with the video cameras and the smart doorbells, are those often sold together? Because it seems like your smart doorbell is a lot more useful if you can see what's going on out there. Yeah, it's interesting how consumers go about buying these products. So the majority of smart home devices are bought at retail. And so that's a consumer going online or going to a Home Depot or a Best Buy, perhaps, and buying that single device. We also see, though, that these devices are getting attached to the professional security system sale. So they may call an ADT dealer or a Brinks dealer or Vivint perhaps and get a security system that then has those devices attached to them. So there's different ways that consumers end up buying the devices and we see the buyer journey in this area really being around the experience. They buy one device, they're really liking what those new features and applications can do for them and then they go out and buy more or they're getting a curated system to start with typically with the security platform being that grounding point. 
Okay, great. And just to stick with the smart cameras for a minute more, though, are there other use cases besides security and doorbells? I think a lot of people like to watch what's going on inside their home while they're not at the home, right? Yeah, absolutely. We are tracking the use of cameras inside the home at the doorbell point, and then also a lot of network cameras being added outside of the home. So that use case has really expanded everything from checking when your kids get home, which is what what I experienced. I actually was not very interested in the smart doorbell until I realized that was actually a communication point to understand my children have got home. They ring the doorbell, and now they're talking to me before they let themselves into the house. My kids are old enough to be at home alone, but this provided this sense and, and peace of mind, and I think that's the key play there is having peace of mind, whether it's your children or, a very popular, the delivery cycles that we're all having with e-commerce. So that use case of making sure your packages are safe, having an eye on, on that is also coming into play. The in-home camera, though, Lots of use cases there that we're seeing everything from watching your pets, perhaps if you're at the office and you have animals at home and you can view them on the camera, understand what's going on. So this peace of mind application is being extended because of the way technology is being integrated into that camera. So that video upload from those cameras, that's a lot more bandwidth intensive than some other smart home applications. But... Wi-Fi 6 is robust enough to support that, right? Yeah, I think the Wi-Fi 6 rollout is going to help with congestion on the network. And as consumers continue to buy more and more devices in their home, there's going to be a need to ensure that connectivity is reliable. And Wi-Fi 6 is going to really play a big role in that. Our research is showing that there's an average of 16 connected devices in Internet households across the United States. I know I have 43 devices connected in my house. I also have three kids and a plume mesh network that is able to help manage what's going on in my home, even such that I could turn off a single device if I want to. I could turn off all the Wi-Fi in my home. So there's a lot that's going to be coming and consumers really are embracing technology and understanding, you know, the value these various connected devices can provide. Okay, great. Let's talk also about the role of Wi-Fi 6 and some other applications. I know that for the people who live in apartments, smart access control can be very important. And I think that's also important in a lot of common public areas, even in hospitals. Do you see Wi-Fi supporting those applications? Yeah, absolutely. We are doing a lot of research work right now in the MDU or the multi-dwelling unit space, which does include apartments and condos, senior living facilities. We're also looking a little bit at the commercial markets, but Parks Associates is more focused in on small to medium business and consumer. So the connectivity, the broadband is becoming front and center for these buildings. And because it enables all these other applications that can add value, can differentiate the experience, and maybe more importantly, even can help lower costs for those businesses operating the buildings, whether it's the property manager or the actual building owner. 
labor is an issue right now and getting the appropriate staff to be in a building. And so if you think of things even like getting somebody on a tour of an apartment, now you can have consumers who can let themselves in. They can walk and tour on their own even, and that may be their preferred way to view an apartment. This can really help differentiate that experience and perhaps pull that consumer in because of the advanced technology that's added into the amenity side. Oh, I did not know that, that people are touring apartments on their own. I know that you've also done a lot of work around telehealth, patient monitoring. What are some of the trends that you're seeing there, and how's Wi-Fi 6 supporting those devices? The uh, continued demand for remote anything is going to grow everywhere, and there's no bigger area, I think, than healthcare in terms of the impact that it can have. The connectivity, again, is a critical component of having the devices, the systems, and then the services be able to get data from one point to another. And so Wi-Fi 6 is going to become a critical component of that experience as well. While we're still in some of the early stages with remote patient monitoring, we have seen this dramatic change really as a result of the pandemic where consumers are going to be quite accustomed to using the phone, using a video consult, and then even putting devices all over themselves to be able to send information back to the doctor with anybody with diabetes. This is a great use case. You've also got people with sleep disorders and heart disorders. There's a lot of things that these sensor-based technologies can be able to detect and even predict. And that's where I think things become really interesting in healthcare is being able to understand what's going to happen before it happens. And the role of advanced technology, particularly around the Wi-Fi signals and the connectivity becomes very important as well. So for those sensor devices, you need for them to connect to a Wi-Fi gateway. They don't usually have a Wi-Fi chip in them, right? Yes. Well, there's a lot of different devices that are rolling out now. And so I don't know if I could speak to the entire category, but I do know that across the board, all of the hardware players are looking very carefully at the different technologies that they're getting added in. And typically, manufacturers are going to want to future-proof what they're doing and make sure the tech is added in, even if they may not be utilizing it in this moment in time. That's part of that roadmap that gets developed for connected products. And that's really, I think, where the engineers and the CTOs come into play in terms of making sure that the necessary technology is in there to extend that life cycle of the product. And how are they predicting what's going to happen with these patients? Are these algorithms that the device makers provide, or do they often contract with a third party who has a data or at the edge something to process all that information and predict what's going to happen to patients? Yeah, I mean, there's so much software, I think, that's getting embedded into the hardware. And so all of this connected IoT stuff that's coming about really is reliant on various players coming together, building partnerships and integrating with each other, which is pretty complex. The smart home space is complex, but I think the connected health space might be even more complex, particularly when thinking about HIPAA and privacy and 
the sensitivity and the nature of people's health. So it's all moving along. There's a lot that's taking place, but it's also a very complicated market to navigate. Definitely. Do you see the major makers of Wi-Fi access points taking an active role in that partner ecosystem? Yes, absolutely. I think they understand that their existence is dependent on other partners in the bigger picture, and particularly in the connected home space. The opportunity lies in that intersection between ecosystems and how they can interact with each other to provide new value and new applications that just, frankly, can't exist otherwise. And so there's a lot of different initiatives that I think we'll see really bringing everything together in the home, but then also in other environments as well. Certainly healthcare is a big one. Okay, great. All right. Well, it wouldn't be a tech show if we didn't talk a little bit about AR and VR. I'm not going to make you talk about AI, but I'm going to make you talk about AR and VR. Do you see support for that in smart home devices? Yeah, we're tracking AR VR adoption at 12 or 13% of internet households right now. And so that's about 13 or 14, maybe 15 million households total that have one of these devices. The new Apple launch is going to do a lot, even though they came out with a very pricey headset. But again, if you think of the iPhone, the iPhone costs $1,200 and A lot of people have iPhones. So consumers are willing to invest a lot of money for technology that they find value in. And so I think that Apple's big move in this space is going to help elevate the whole category. It's notable they're not calling it AR VR. I mean, they're trying to set it up away, I think a little bit from the meta, kind of the meta side of things and differentiate themselves in that way. But there's a lot of different use cases. And in a home environment, there's the gaming aspects, there's the reality even, let's say, of going on a family travel trip. I mean, perhaps you have people in the house who are handicapped or you have older adults and you can now have experiences that are really incredible, almost like you're there and and you don't even have to leave your house. People are willing to pay for the future, for immersive experiences. It will take some time though and those form factors are probably going to be around only for a certain segment of the population in general. But still, if you think about gaming, this is entertainment and video and experiences really are where the future is. Excellent. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. I think that that you recently spent some time at a trade show with rural telecom operators. So what does that have to do with smart homes and, and what did you learn there? Yeah, so that was a great event, the NCTC show. It's called the Independent Show. It's their annual event they host mid-year. I had a great time at that conference sharing some of Parks Associates' research and also understanding what the Tier 2 and Tier 3 providers, many who are in the rural environments, are doing as it relates to broadband services and entertainment. And so what we've seen is that the decline in pay TV across the board and the shift to streaming services has really changed the dynamics of how these service providers are offering value-added services. So in the past, we had a double play, a triple play, a quad play, which was broadband, pay TV, phone, perhaps home security in there. And that bundle has really been unbundled with streaming services. And so now all of the broadband ISPs, MSOs are now looking for what's our next 
new bundle. The adoption of connected devices in the home is a huge driver for ensuring that you've got the bandwidth in the home. And so that is making consumers want to increase their speeds. And then, of course, the Wi-Fi connectivity in the home is a big issue. Making sure all these devices work requires reliable Wi-Fi. And so in the smart home space, we see this being a huge, big point for all the companies of making sure that those devices can stay on and that they're always working. And so the NCTC was a great place for us to be able to share a lot of our broadband research. We also do a lot of work within mobile, and then we're tracking the streaming service space along with all connected devices, which crosses three categories for parks, consumer electronics, smart home devices, and connected health devices. Okay, great. What is your research into the streaming industry showing you? We're showing 87% of households in the U.S. now have at least one streaming service. And we just put out research this week that 22% of households have eight or more streaming services. Oh my gosh. Uh, so this is this I'm going to guess they si- mostly don't know they have all those streaming services. Yeah, I know. And it makes me want to go check my bills and see what kind of $3.99 or $6.99 charges I'm getting across uh, for those extra services. I'm probably a goldmine for the operators because we still have pay TV. We have a lot of cable boxes and then we have three kids. So we have a lot of the OTT services too. But yeah, so streaming is, is where it's at and there is this shift to move to all digital over the top video and, and that's going to play out for years to come, I think. Yeah. And again, it's going to really put the onus on the Wi-Fi because more and more devices connecting, more and more devices streaming, and a lot of those videos are going to become more and more interactive, I think. So that's going to increase the bandwidth even more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one other point there is that consumers who use streaming services are also the ones who are asking for higher bandwidth speeds. And the consumers who are using gig services, which is actually a lot of the tier two and tier three subscribers, because those providers went out and built gigabit service options, offerings, while some of the cable traditional providers focused on on what they were working on. So consumers who get gig services also buy more value-added services, and they are also using more and more streaming services. They have more devices in their home, and they have more people connecting at the same time. If you've been at home on a, on a Zoom call with a kid streaming, I mean, I have super high-speed at my house, but when my kids are online streaming, you know, I have to tell them they can't do that when I'm on work calls. So there is a need, and I think the demand is going to continue, and Wi-Fi is certainly at the heart of all of it. Okay. All right. Now, before we finish, I'd like to talk a little bit, if we could, about some news that happened this summer. That The White House actually unveiled its U.S. cyber trust mark to try to make it easier for consumers to understand if a smart home product is meeting cybersecurity criteria set by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So there are a lot of questions around that and whether, you know, whether devices can keep pace with that. But how do you see that impacting IoT shipments as we get into the back half of 2024 and 2025 when this cyber trust mark is going to be permeating the market a little bit more? 
Yeah, I think it's great for the industry to have the government acknowledging the need for something the consumers can understand. They've got protections on their connected devices. So it's a big deal that this news came out. I think that it adds to what a manufacturer has to do with their products, and, and they already have to do a lot. And so in terms of whether it's going to help increase the momentum with smart home devices or not, Uh, I think really time will tell, but from our view, we're going to have a continued slow and steady growth of the smart home device market as it's always been. You know, there's really nothing that moves fast in the smart home. It's, It's always been slow and steady, but that slow and steady that's leading to a lot of opportunities for reoccurring revenue and, again, that Wi-Fi point in all of it just becomes very, very important. So there's other factors, though, that are impacting the market, including housing and even just the population growth, who's getting married, who's having children. All of these things are big factors that can impact the forecasted growth of any any category of devices or services. Okay, understood. But for 2023 so far, which smart home device has had the greatest increase in uptake? The greatest increase, I think, is coming from smart thermostats. We saw a 3% adoption over a year where it was flat at the really 11 to 13% adoption for thermostats, and we jumped to 16%. And so that was something we were happy to see that because the industry is working hard to get these energy devices in the home to help with energy efficiency, energy management, and really the utilities are, are driving a lot of that. So the market wasn't moving much for a few years, and so now it has. And so that's, that's a positive thing. Okay. All right. Elizabeth Parks, president of Parks Associates. This has been great. Thank you so much for being here on The Signal. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. And I love connecting with anybody on LinkedIn. If you want to connect, please find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. And you can find us on social. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can download the latest episodes direct to your device. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to all the resources we discussed today. We can probably drop your LinkedIn in our show notes, Elizabeth. Thank you again for joining us. This is Martha DeGrasse. Please join us next time on The Signal.